Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffield. My The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness! And Glenn Quarterman. Wow-wee! A proud Victorian parked permanently in the west who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff Duff and Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Well, hello everybody. It is Thursday. It is time for the second edition this week of the Duff and Quarters podcast. We are brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet if you download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly and please, if you have any issues, contact the Gambler's Helpline on 1-800-858-858 for their assistance. All right, Glenn Quartermain with me in the studio. Quarters, this, I believe, is your favourite weekend of football. I reckon it's yours too, I'm tipping. Uh, It's just pure footy this weekend. The MCG's still got predominantly... You've got your supporters. It's not all the corporates. And it's, as a as a fan, it's nerve-wracking. Uh, probably a little bit more nerve-wracking in the hour leading up to a grand final, I reckon, when your guts are churning. But the, I think you get about five minutes after a preliminary final win where you're joyous and then you start panicking about the next week. But I just like the fact that players are giving 110%, but in the back of their mind is, I don't want to get injured here. I don't want to miss the biggest day of my sporting life. I love preliminary finals, you know. I still remember Hawthorne, Port Adelaide. and In 2004. Yeah, and I was at the Sunday Times in Stirling Street, and yeah. I had to go for a walk late in the quarter because Port were coming back. So I took my phone. I didn't have it on the video. I had it on just the, the goals, Yeah, and it was just counting down, and it was Port getting closer and closer and closer. <laughs> and I was just standing on one side of the road looking at it, and it was Ports kicked a point, and there were a couple of points. We were a couple of points up, Hawthorne. And I'm yep. thinking that means it's in their forward line. And I was just standing there, and I was just white. I was just, and then, and it said final scores, and I've just yet out this big yell, and there was no one around. And this bloke the other side of the road just gave me this weird look. <laughs> what is he on, this bloke? <laughs> I was standing there yelling, and ah, oh, dear. You would have been less stressed if you'd have just watched it, quarters. I mean, it was. I, know. I, I You know what? I never had the feeling watching it, that Hawthorne weren't going to win that game. Mm. Now, that may sound strange, and it may have been a different experience for you as a uh, Hawthorne supporter, but I always felt they were just one kick too far back to pinch it. And even there was a couple of marginal calls out on the 50, which I'm sure your good friend Craig Nitschke has talked to you about. Oh, he has. Years. Oh, yeah. Robbed, I think he said. <laughs> but... Yeah, I always had the impression that um, that Hawthorne were were going to get that one done. Um, Funny, isn't it, how I've managed to uh, weave in Hawthorne from eight years ago? I know, we're nowhere yeah. near the finals. Seamless too. It was seamless. Well, it always is when you just go off the top. You know, <laughs> sort of that's the that's the most pressing matter to talk about. My my favourite. Yep. Preliminary final ever is the nineteen ninety nine preliminary final between Essendon and Carlton. The, oh, yeah, the tackle. The tackle by Fraser Brown, bringing down Dean Wallace as he tried to charge through the um, the centre square. It's interesting, you know, after that game, 
I had a few beers with the Fremantle coaching staff. So it was Damien Drum, Bomber Riley, um, one of the best blokes in footy, Bomber Riley, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah good fella. Um, and, and a couple of others, Jared McNeil, who I'd played under at South Bunbury. He was there. He was the football manager at the Dockers at the time. And um, we were talking about the Wallace play, taking on the tackle. And <clears throat> everyone, you know, Wallace was a subject of some scorn for not just kicking the ball inside 50. And Damien Drum made the point. He said, if I'm a coach... He said, I'm happy with that play. He said, I'm not happy with the outcome. But he said, if he gets past him, he's shooting for goal. Yeah. And he said, whereas if he just bombs it inside attacking 50, yeah, we might mark Probably it. Probably 50-50. Whereas he's taking it. the 50, he's trying to make the 50 75 or 80. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Take the shot. Um, if you kick the goal, we win the game, you know, basically. So interesting call. Great tackle by Fraser Brown. Um, they were just heroic that day, weren't they? And you know, was it '94? Uh, was it the Ablett McMartin? Oh, yeah. So God, that'd be my enduring yeah. memory yeah. Uh, of uh, just perfect height, just just out of McMartin's reach. It was the reverse torpedo? It was just perfect height for Ablett, and you just knew. And McMartin hands on the head, yeah. thinking, "Well, this bloke ain't missing." A brilliant call by Dennis Cometti at the time too. He said, "You know." Poor McMartin. He said he's been the master of that contest all day, and this will be this game will be remembered for this kick. Oh, it was, and of course, uh, to bring Hawthorne into it again, 1987, the great Gary Bacanara. Um after the siren and the late Jim Snow and the late Jim Snow running across the mark and being absolutely barrelled by John Northey in the room. Great the sporting photograph that one captured yep. of Northey just giving him the big finger and yeah. Uh, yeah really sad for Jim that day and I think I believe when Bucky took that kick there was at one end Michael Tuck um, and at the other end was Robert Flower who was playing in his last game and they put their arms around each other and they just said well one of us isn't playing next week all the very best <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think Tucky in his heart of heart he probably knew when Bucky had the ball that we were a chance <laughs> or he didn't miss too many Bucky you wouldn't if you wanted someone kicking for your life I reckon Bucky he might not be at the very top of the list but he'd, he'd be one in the conversation oh, David Mundy would be up there too yeah David Mundy's pretty good pretty good in a crisis should we get through some trade news yeah, before we talk let's, to, about so let's the talk about Locally, yeah. So Junior Rioli tells West Coast he wants to go to Port Adelaide. Um, let's try and workshop this one. How's this likely to play out? Oh, I think he goes. So interesting commentary around it with Ross Lyons' comments today. So Trevor Nisbet's called it. Uh, he's he's bitterly, bitterly disappointed. disappointed. Uh, I, I thought think, they overcooked the rhetoric a little bit. Yeah, they did. But uh, I th- yeah, I, I would agree with that. There is there are sympathies with Junior. He's had a tough year. Had a cu- tough tough couple of months. But I believe I sort of think that that's the that's the uh, public disappointment. I think privately, I think they'd be happy for him to go if they get the right deal. And I think this public outcry is all about getting the right deal. Bit of guilt, add a bit of guilt in there. I think so, and I think you know, second round. I would have thought if the compensation for Carl Amon going to Hawthorne is in the twenties, I get that. That to me, that would get it done. It might be that the um, West Coast. Um, outpouring of frustration might be as much about let's see if we can just get a set of steak knives pushed in. Now, the player who's starting to be mentioned is the brother of Michael Frederick. So Martin Frederick is at Port Adelaide. He is out of contract. He has been in and out of the team. He's not dissimilar to Michael. He's very quick um, and, uh, and has a little bit to offer athletically. And obviously, West Coast is a team desperately in need of speed. 
Um, and I believe he's very highly rated by Jared Schofield, who is at West Coast now. Mm-hmm. So it will be fascinating to see how that plays out. What I will say is that whenever a West Coast fan tweets about this, he says, we give you Rioli, you give us Georgiades. Yeah, well, that's not happening. If uh, if I'm Port Adelaide and uh, and that is the only way the trade gets done... It I doesn't w- get done. I would be saying, no, no, you keep Rioli, <laughs> yeah, we'll keep Georgiades. That's right, yes. So, um, look, I think it's... I don't blame West Coast for being privately disappointed. Um, what I would have said, we are we are disappointed to lose a player of Junior Rioli's quality, but he will always be a premiership player. Yes. He will always be a part of our history because of the contribution he made to our club in 2018. And while we're frustrated and reluctant to lose him, we would uh, hope that we can do the best trade we can, and if that trade is done, we would wish him all the best in his and, future endeavours. And I think their uh, their duty of care to him was was pretty faultless. I think they they really did look after Junior during this period of his yep. life, um, and that was why it was so interesting from Ross Lyon. Uh, I'm not sure if there's too much love lost between Ross Lyon and the Eagles, but um, uh, interesting his comments about. It's actually is your duty of care. You shouldn't be shouting it from the rooftops. You've got to look after your player who's contracted you. That's probably absolutely true by Ross. It's probably also interesting that Ross is the person saying that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's why I said I don't think there's too much love lost. Given the state of mind that some of the Fremantle players left, <laughs> left in after... Yeah, well, that is true, yes. After Ross's reign of terror at the club, <laughs> I, I do think that, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, and uh, two-year contracts as suspected for Nick Natanui. Bailey Williams yep. probably progressed this year, I'd say. I, you know, Know what I know Bailey Williams is a slow burn, and but about uh, big blokes generally slow burns. Well, exactly, and I, I'm sure that West Coast fans would have liked of him to have made more progress this year. But I really liked his game at Geelong. He got beaten at stoppage by John Segler, but had 25 disposals moving around the ground. He is an extraordinarily athletic big man. I suspect there's great potential there as a forward ruck, and he's young. Mm. You know, we forget how long it takes. People bagging Luke Jackson need to remember he's 20 years he old. Yes, yes. And we won't know what he's going to be until he's 24. So you're trading on potential as much as ability, or as much as what you've seen. So Bailey Williams, I think, is a... That's an okay signing. Yeah. We I'm not both, sure about Nick. Now. We both thought Nick was one year, not two years. I think one tops. So yeah. two years is really interesting with him. Yeah. Now we know what's happening in a couple of years' time. Tim English will be available, but uh, I, I'm just curious about that. Whether there is some merchandising marketing behind it, mate. It's West Coast. Yeah. I mean, seriously, they don't do that. Well, no, they do. But we're talking about whether it's a fifteen million dollar surplus or an eight million dollar surplus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, ju- I just think in with where their list is at, they might have thought this is generous, but we can afford to do that. Okay, and, and, and he's and probably earned can. the right over the well, years. Well, he's a good person. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been very good for them off the club as well as a, obviously a very good player off um, the field. Yeah, on the been. field, he's been a you know dual um, best and fairest winner. He's um, been all Australian a number of times now, so that's all fine. I just. I would have thought there was no need to go to two, that you could have gone one and then just revisited it at the end of the year. And if he's going really well, give him another one then. Okay, so Luke, we'll just move down the list. Luke Jackson, um, Eagles saying they'd go hard at him, but you can't have pick two. Do you think there's a genuine chance the Eagles can get Luke Jackson? Not unless they give pick two. I mean, if you're Melbourne, the one advantage West Coast has over Fremantle is that they've got pick two. Um, They've probably got less salary cap room. Um, and I think the other thing, and I think Fremont, uh, West Coast are cognizant of this, I think they know that 
Luke Jackson solves a problem for them, but not all of their problems. Mm. Um, the fact that they've signed Bailey Williams, the fact that they've signed Nick Natnui, the fact that they've got Callum Jamison in the wings. They need the midfiel- club. midfielders with wheels. I think midfielder with wheels. Um, maybe Martin Frederick, if he were a set of steak knives in the Junior Rioli deal, yeah. might, might help them address that. That'd be handy too. Uh, so we've seen the last few days Frio return from Melbourne. We've seen Rory Lobb come through and announced that he wants to uh, be traded to the Western Bulldogs. Uh, and we've seen Blake Akers come through and announced that he wants to go to Carlton. Um, we've seen Griffin Logue in meeting, having his exit meeting today. Uh, there is no official news on that yet, but we suspect he's got 4 by 500 in front of him at Frio, 4 by 600 in front of him at North Melbourne. Do we believe where well, that's that, been confirmed? That's not been confirmed. That's speculation. That's the, mail. that's the mail. I reckon it might be north of that, you know. Okay. I just wonder whether Griffin Lowe, given that he's always said he's happy at Fremantle and given that he hasn't committed to wanting a trade, I just wonder whether they're a little bit further apart than four okay. times five because four he, times Because you, get, you do get the feeling that he is happy here and would prefer not to leave. But I, I see what you're saying. If it's 400 over four... You probably stay where you are, or you, you or probably. You, it say makes you think. You certainly think about it, but you're more. You'd be more likely to stay if that was if that was your inclination. But I think if it becomes eight hundred over four, that's a little bit harder. Well, if it becomes eight hundred over four, yeah, you mean the gap? Yes, yeah, the gap, the gap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, to me, if it's four times five versus four times six, Freo goes to five fifty and Logue signs the contract. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's. That's how I would view the likely outcome, even with Colin. He's Davis the player they can least afford to lose of the of the lot that are going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah, you know, assuming Jackson comes to them, um, and let's face it, if Jackson doesn't come to them, they have money to play with to get Griffin Lowe. Mm. So they would just up the offer and so. So how do you see the Lowe v Lob? So they've obviously Lob's got a contract for another year. So if Lowe goes, you're not going, Rory, or do you think it's a little bit of bluff as well? I just think it's a little bit of. Every player that's been mentioned in the market for Fremantle as wanting to have a trade is either a player we would say that player needs to leave for more opportunity. So, like, we would think if we were Lloyd Meeks' manager, we would at least be making inquiries. And if there was a firm offer from another club, even the crosstown rival West Coast, we'd be entertaining that offer because, basically, Lloyd Meek is an AFL player not playing AFL. Yes. And if... If Luke Jackson came to Fremantle, that would only put him one further back in the pecking order. Um, Darcy Tucker fell out of the best 22, has had interest from North Melbourne, I believe, other clubs as well. Uh, He has a contract. But if you're Darcy Tucker, again, you're exploring your options because you 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 want to be playing AFL every week. You want opportunity. Blake Akers, I think... So the others are mainly Colin Young clients. Mm -hmm. Now, their, their reasons are all different, but I think Fremantle... I think they maybe decided enough was enough when Liam Henry's name got thrown up. Liam Henry is contracted. He For fe- a year. He fell out of the, the best 22 at the end of the year. He's a really a guy who needs to knuckle down and work on his footy. And when his manager puts him in trade speculation, which, let's face it, that's what happened. His name was out there. It wasn't out there, and then suddenly it was out there. There was no indication that was rabid interest from any other yep. club. And if there was any interest from any other club, they wouldn't have wanted to watch him play in the waffle on the weekend because uh, all I'd say to Liam is, Liam, you need to play better this week. Yeah, he's, he has enormous enormous talent, but yeah. he was very poor last week in the waffle and um, he needs to take some steps. So I think Fremantle was just reminding um, 
their clients or their players and and Colin Young's clients and Colin Young probably the blokes that are contracted only go if we let them go um, so let's do this civilly and not have another Fremantle name in speculation every day for, from now until the end of trade period which it felt like that was happening. It did. And uh, <laughs> mate, we're only a couple of days into this. We know what this period's all about. And we look at the age demographic of Fremantle. We look at um, the uh, enormous talent they've got in defence. We look at the young midfielders they've got. We look at Sean Darcy. Um, their forward line is a work in progress, but there's Jai Amis who didn't look out of place on an AFL field. Some in- unbelievable talent in defence, as you said. So, yeah. um, and what they play, they played probably five blokes 20 or under in the final against yeah. there's a lot going right at Fremantle it is, there is yeah. and a lot of the blokes that are purported to be wanting to leave have just had career best seasons which is interesting because I think some of those blokes would not necessarily play as well under other coaches so we'll watch how that plays out now just a couple of just very quickly uh, James Hurd uh, I'm not surprised but I'm concerned for Essendon. Well, not really, but you know what I'm saying. So my mail is that he still doesn't get the job. Okay. Um, so my mail is, is that he's an outsider in this field. But so you never Uze, know. Uze, uh, Brendan Laid, yep. and maybe Brad Scott. Brad Scott, they're looking at. They're not convinced that Brad Scott's out of the running. I still wouldn't be surprised if Josh Carr goes to Port Adelaide, as he's widely rumoured. Ken Hinckley. I w- well, you, if you're Essendon, you're making that phone call, aren't you? They're bringing in a well-credentialed, experienced, um, a senior assistant coach. Which is what they wanted. To be the midfield coach. Yep. And, um, and Ken Hinckley's under pressure at the start of next year. If you're Ken Hinckley... And he's the profile they want. Exactly. They want a senior, experienced coach. And he's got cred. Essendon? No, yes. Yes, yes so, Essendon. So if you're, if you're Essendon, you at least reach out and make that phone call. Um, and you maybe even remind Ken, Ken... The contract ends at 2023, and it feels like every year your president puts the weights on you. So I'd a, also be reminding have Essendon, it, have a look at Craig McRae. Yes, exactly. And have a look at Adam Muse, yep. who was not far off getting you know uh, a number of jobs. So uh, now uh, we better talk about the Brownlow being shifted forward a day. So we're watching it on Sunday night. Uh, apparently, by the way, there's mass hysteria and panic in Melbourne um, with the WAGs having booked all their hair appointments for the Monday. Oh, my Lord. Unable to uh, have them on the Sunday. So there'll be double time charged by a lot of those salons in Melbourne. Oh, my Lord. How this dare is, they? This is, this is the, the, world, the very world falling apart. Does um, flexibility and agility not extend to wag world? Oh, not in Brownlow night, my friend. <laughs> it's very, very, very important. So look, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I know they're favourites, but I'm gonna I think Lockie Neal wins it. I think Brayshaw's top three. I think Oliver. So I'd say that it's for me. It's me. It's Neal, Oliver, Brayshaw. If you're after a Smokey, I, I think Cripps and Miller will poll well too. Took Miller. If you're after a Smokey for me, I'll throw in Callum Mills of Sydney. I think he's about eighty bucks. Um, but the other one I'm gonna say I'm gonna be uh, watch this space on the night is Nick Dacos. I'm fascinated to see how he bowls. So he's your roughie, isn't he? Ca- well, Callum Mills is my roughie. Is he? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to say... Um, who wins it? Uh, who did I say? I can tell you, oh, I've, I've, I've been solid on Paddy Cripps. Okay. I think people have forgotten that Paddy Cripps started the season 
on, on fire. fire. He did, yeah. And will rack up an enormous amount of votes early. He will um, taper off a little bit later. But if the umpires pick him up and run with him early, he could have an enormous tally on the table by very early in the count. And then he's only got to pick him up in dribs and drabs from then on in, and, and you would think he could get into the high 20s. So Paddy Cripps first for me. Um, I'm going to say uh, Lockie Neal and Clayton Oliver will finish second and third. I can't remember what order I had them in yep. when we did our predictions. And my roughie is, and I think this is a genuine roughie with a, with a puncher's chance, is Connor Rosie. Oh, yeah. Okay. From Port Adelaide. Yeah, good call. Connor Rosie. What would he? He'd be 50 bucks? I don't know what his um, odds are, but he he had a really strong finish to the season, and Connor Rosie is um, a very eye-catching player. You know, he steps out of traffic. He carries the ball. Um, he's a bit of a good-looking rooster. There's a lot that the umpires will – he will he will attract attention, I think. So. Now, just a little segue, Duff. If anyone wants to buy the Sunday Times on Sunday and read my column um, – I'm just looking at the Brownlow medal. I'm looking at voting. Just an idea I'm going to throw out there. Everyone goes on about the midfielders' medal. Everybody goes on about, you know, should umpires get the, you know, have the job anymore? They've got too much to do. I'm going to say, here's, here's just an idea. Just an idea. If the umpires still vote 3 2 1, but you have to vote for a midfielder, you have to vote for a forward, and you have to vote for a defender. And in the midfielders, you're including the ruckman as well. So you will have votes for a forward, you'll have votes for a defender. It just depends. If you think a forward's been the best, they get the three. I just think it gives them a bit more of a chance, puts them on the platform to maybe win one. Because I just, it has been, I think it's 31. I mean, Scott Wind. Uh, Gavin Wanganeed from a back pocket in 93 and Scott Wine as a ruckman in 92. Do we count Adam Goods That's, in 2003? Well, 2003 because he played sort of a, a mid, a sort of a hybrid role, didn't he? So, the But f- if you take that out, they're all midfielders yep. in between. And not, wonderful players, all of them. But you can't tell me that there's not a key position player in there that would have deserved the Brownlow ahead of some of those over the years. Well, the one that sticks out is Wayne Carey. I think most of us have him. Nick Rewald. Um, uh, no, Wayne Carey's a better yeah. player than Nick Rewald. But I'm saying in 2003, I think it was, Nick Rewald was... See, the classic example is Matthew Richardson, isn't it? Like On the wing. Go, goes through his career, barely polls a vote, goes to a wing, nearly wins the medal. Yeah, that's exactly my point. So I and, just... It's um, worth looking at. But I remember being at an Adelaide hotel in 1998. Um, we were at the British Hotel in mm-hmm. North Adelaide. Lovely, lovely place. All the journos from around Australia had gathered. We were all in Adelaide because um, uh, Adelaide... The Adelaide Crows had made it through to the grand final, and they were play, going to play uh, North Kilt- Melbourne. Not North Melbourne, yeah. And we just thought Wayne Carey would win the medal, and Wayne Carey never got close to winning the medal. And Carey was utterly dominant that year, as he was in a lot of years. But if ever there was a year where you think a key position player wins the medal, it was that year with yep. Carey, and um, and he. He didn't get that close, and you just thought, yep, yeah, this is definitely a midfielder's medal. And no. don't get me wrong, Robert Harvey won, and um, well done, Robert Harvey. He was a, a, a true champion and a great player. But, um, yeah, I thought the Duck, at some point in the 90s, might have come pretty close to winning one. Mm. Ablett Senior as well. You know, there have been some great players. Um, and just another little segue, I was just going through – the 11 Brownlow medal winners who never won a best and fairest, which is interesting reading. And I won't go through them all, but I just found it interesting that between 1897 and 1934, Melbourne did not have a best and fairest award. Is that right? Yeah. 
I think Fitzroy didn't have many of them either. You've got so. to read the names out, Quarters. I love Oh, them. I'll read them out. Well, no, Jimmy Bartell and Kaji Greaves at Geelong. So Bartell in 2007, Kaji Greaves in 24, who was the first Brownlow medalist. Uh, Bernie Quinlan, um, 1981. Dipper. Robert Dippy at Aminico Hawthorne, 86. Brian Wilson, Melbourne, 1982. Adam Cooney, 2008, Western Bulldogs. And here we go. Back in, de- de- delving back in time. South Melbourne, the only fullback to have won it. Fred Goldsmith in 1955. Great player, Freddie Goldsmith. So the only fullback. So no David Dench, no Stephen Silvani, um, and no Matthew Scarlett. Uh 1936, Dennis Ryan Fitzroy. Dinny, uh, they used to call him Dinny. Dinny Ryan. Um, 1926 and 1928, Ivor Warren Smith. Great name. Great hyphenated name and a Melbourne player. Oh, yes, uh, of course. <laughs> would, have, to, would have been right at home with Montague. Would have, but I'll tell you what. Just towing into the cheese platter. Would have, but fair play to him. Two Brownlows and fought in both world wars, did Ivor Warren Smith. So very decorated individual. My favourite. Uh, the Fitzroy player, uh, sorry, the Melbourne player. Uh, no, he was Fitzroy player. 1933, a Changi survivor, W. Wilfred, W. Chicken Smallhorn. Chicken Smallhorn. W. Chicken Smallhorn. And the other one was Stan Judkins at Richmond in 1930. Some of them didn't have best and fairest, but most of them did. So interesting. It makes interesting reading, in my opinion. It does. Um, I just Chicken Smallhorn is one of my all-time great football names. Oh, isn't it? Yep. Absolutely wonderful. Mate, we better... Talk about the games. Let's tip a winner. Okay, so Friday night, Geelong v Brisbane at the MCG. It is being played at 5.50 Western Standard Time. Chris Scott, the Geelong coach today, saying we expect to have no change to the team, but things can change. So I look at that. I look at the med sub, Mark O'Connor. Does he get the job on Lockie Neal or do they play a Blitzarves on Lockie Neal, as has been forecast? I don't think they change that side. Um, there's going to be some really interesting matchups there. Probably Harris Andrews gets Jeremy Cameron, probably got the athleticism to go with him. Darcy Gardner, probably Tom Hawkins, maybe Stasevich to Rowan. Um, do they go with McInerney and leave out Fort? Do they go with both, try and sort of work Geelong over with that uh, Blitzarves-Stanley combination? So maybe they need to do that. If Blitzarves is going to go to Lockie Neal, it's the classic big man smothers little man mm. sort of scenario. If they play the second ruckman, maybe they force Blitzarves into the ruck. Because Blitzarves is kind of like Geelong's Mr. Fix-It. He it? is. And I'm looking at Geelong. I'm not seeing many weaknesses. And yep. I'm thinking you've got to go for their weakness. And maybe this is the only way you just give yourself another 1% chance of upsetting them. Yep. But having said all of that, I'm picking Geelong. I think there will be a relatively comfortable win. I, I am concerned about the one game in a month, but I think they're beautifully prepared. They're playing a different brand of footy. Um, it's almost there's a, there's a sort of a pall of destiny hanging over this footy team. And no, they're not my favourite team, but I wouldn't mind seeing Paddy Dangerfield franked for a great career. Um, I know I know we've had this argument. And you say. You know, plenty of great players have never won him, but his career is still alive. So yeah, no, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't look if Paddy won. I wouldn't begrudge it to him. I just let's not all step out of the way so Paddy can have a flag on yeah, top of everything no, no, else. No, no. Um, I'm going to tip Geelong. I think they win reasonably comfortably. Uh, they're a dollar twenty nine with Tab Touch, by the way. Brisbane are three dollars sixty five. That tells you that Tab Touch thinks they're winning pretty comfortably. Um, I just get the feeling that Brisbane played their grand final. Yep. 
last weekend and it was a mighty victory. It was a really important victory for the club and it was a really important victory for Chris Fagan. He's got to get him back to Brisbane, get him down off the high, get him back up again, get him back into Melbourne, get them ready for this one. Now, the good news is they have some players um, they do. Uh, returning, but the the flip side of that is I'm not sure that they match up quite as well. They do create a headache, I think, a Joe little Danaher. bit. Joe Danaher. For Joe Danaher comes back exactly. Mm. I do think they create a little bit of a, a headache for um, for Geelong with their small forwards. So if there is a bit of a vulnerability with the Cats, it is good small forwards tend to trouble them a bit. Yes, they have those mid-sized towards defenders. And Coladashny, by the way, has been under a cloud with a knee. He's apparently ticked all the boxes. So he is going to play. Really, but I agree. Yes, that's what Chris Scott says. Gee. They must have some good doctors down there because he looked for all the world like he'd done a ligament. Mm, he did, didn't of he? Of some sort. Um, yeah, I, I just think Brisbane, I think it'll be a big ask for them to get up again and play like they did last week. They will get some belief out of that win, though. They've, they've struggled to win games in, in September. Mm. They've now won two in a row in good style. So they will And, get some and most importantly, got that MCG monkey off the back. Yes. Pretty important. Now they know they can win at the MCG and they've done it against the reigning Premier who spanked them two weeks earlier. So if you don't get belief from that, you get belief from nothing in my opinion. Incidentally, I'll take my hat off to Dane Zorko. Went into this final series the most hated man in football and I think he's acquitted himself very, very well as a leader and you and I were both saying we didn't think he could captain them next year. I probably still question that. But... um, he has acquitted himself pretty well the last two weeks. So Zorko's a bit older than you think. He's in his early to mid-30s. Yeah. He's about 33, I think. If I was them, I'd be looking to make a change in that space anyway. I'm Performed not sure. his last magic act, Zorko the Great. Zorko the Great. <laughs> Change his birth certificate. Mm. Um, I'm not sure who the successor is at this stage. You know, is McCluggage a captain? Don't know. Do you want to put that on Lockie Neal? I don't know. Um yeah, I don't see why not. But you'd have to th- you'd have to know a bit more internally. Yeah, I mean, maybe twelve months ago, Harris Andrews, but he needs some improving to do because yep. he hadn't had the greatest of years. Yeah, if Zorko the Great steps aside, who's the next magic man in the competition? I'm saying it's Switkowski, the unbelievable Ziggy. Yes, he's a very good player, Sam Switkowski. I was actually doing my uh, Fremantle report card which people can catch up with. We're not sure whether we'll run it on Saturday or Sunday just yet, but it's... Buy both papers just to find out. Yeah, do that. Yeah, double up. Um, he's a very good player, Sam Switkowski. He is. Very good player. Absolutely. And they look much better when he's out there. Yeah, they do. All right, so we're both on the Cats. We, we are. both think reasonably comfortably. Uh, Sydney versus Collingwood. This is at the SCG. It's Saturday afternoon quarters. Yes, obvious, al- for obvious reasons. To allow the Pies to yep. get out before the plane curfew there. Uh, Sydney are $1.42. Collingwood $2.90. Now, I'm going to say this now because after Saturday it might be null and void and I want to put my dibs in. I'm going to tip Sydney to win this. But if Collingwood find a way, they will win the flag. Yeah. I think if you if you say, let's assume we've both tipped Geelong. So let's just say that plays out on yep. Friday night. They're the team they don't want to play. They want Sydney to win. Yeah. They don't want Collingwood to win. I agree with you. I think I'm going to pick Sydney. Now, a couple of things here. I found it interesting that Craig McRae said I, I, I mucked up as a coach when we played them. Was it round 23 or 22? Anyway, late in the season. Um, it was a reasonably comfortable win by Sydney. Um 
She ran twenty two because yeah. they played Carlton in Ryan Ryan Clark was it? He got he, he jumped Ryan, on. Ryan Clark went to Nick Dacos. He went to Nick Dacos and did a pretty good job. Kept him down to twenty, which is probably his lowest disposal count for the year. So you'd go back there because Nick Dacos will be thinking about that throughout the week. Interestingly, McRae said, I stuffed up. I didn't pay enough attention to the dimensions of the ground. So they brought the ground in in size at Gosh's Paddock this week. I found that unusual that he, on two fronts, that he didn't change the dimensions in the week leading up. And secondly, I found it refreshingly honest that he admitted I stuffed up. Uh, the other thing that happened that night was there was no Dugowie. Yep. And Dugowie's been in absolutely spanking form. So I don't know what they do with Goey. Maybe Callum Mills might be accountable for him. They've got options. So what they'll do with Dugowie, I reckon, is what they did with um, Oliver in the um, qualifying final win at the MCG. Callum Mills will go to him, but only at stoppage. And then they'll try and create this confusion where if it's in Sydney's forward line, if they're still trying to block for Dugowie... We saw Callum Mills kicked a very good goal because Melbourne forgot they were defending. So they were trying to free up um, Oliver from Mills when they should have been manning Mills. And Mills got off the chain, crumbed, crumbed the ball from the hit out, kicked the goal. So um, I reckon that'll be the tactic that um, that uh, Sydney. Sydney will use to blunt Dugowie. But I don't think that... Um, it, I don't think it'll work as well. I, I, th- I think that Collingwood will be awake to it, having seen what they did with, with Mills down in Melbourne. Does Darcy Moore go to Buddy? Or does he go to Sam Reid? I think he goes to Buddy to start with. I think Buddy... Sam Reid's a real marking presence. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would almost send Darcy to Sam Reid and I'd ask him to dominate him and take him out of play. And see how Buddy goes early. I would, yeah, Buddy will probably try and play higher up the ground. Uh, if he plays high up the ground, you've got to rethink what you do with him anyway. Don't forget Buddy doesn't take a lot of pack marks. The other thing is he doesn't have to kick a swag for them to win. He hasn't all year, really. So that's it's not the be-all and end-all for them, although it is Buddy, and if he gets off the chain, we know he's capable in big moments. And you also know he can hurt from a long way out. That's the other yep, thing. So can. Franklin can hurt you from 55, and you have to be mindful of that. You need someone who can cover the ground with him um, from 55 metres because if he's out there, he's he's your football version of the three-point shooter, buddy. And if he gets hot, look out. It's going to be and a high-pressure game from, from Collingwood. Sydney defend this ground so well, as I mentioned, different dimensions, and probably two of the leading candidates to be coach of the year. Uh, and so on every element of this game is so watchable. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm going to pick Sydney. Uh, but if Collingwood find a way, and by the way, either side lose, it's still been a magnificent year for yep. both of them. Yep. If Collingwood find a way, I tell you what, there'll be a lot of Geelong supporters, provided Geelong get through on Friday night, there'll be a lot of Geelong supporters watching that game, riding every Sydney goal. Yep, absolutely. They don't want to play Collingwood. No. Well, Geelong took everything that Collingwood had in that qualifying final and just got over the line, just. And I just get the feeling there's growing belief and growing momentum at Collingwood. I think they're getting better every week. And you know what? You know what I've noticed about them? There's not the stresses associated with this team you normally see with a relatively young group who have gone deep in September for the first time. Some of them have been there and done that. He's just freed them up. Yeah, he has, but they seem to be... um, I heard Cox talking the other day, and I just, Mason Cox, I found it fascinating. He was saying, we're, we're actually, it's really weird. We've gone this deep, and there's no stress around. We're actually just enjoying the moment. I really like that. They're, yeah. they're, 
every chance, Collingwood. Very good piece of coaching by Craig McRae. You get the feeling that Craig McRae, he coaches a little bit like they play. There's no nonsense go ahead. Um, we've had a couple of, you know, sort of minor points we think where he might have zigged when he should have zagged. Well, um, everyone does that. On Ginevan and on the... You know, don't lay around after the yeah. game. Well, I actually didn't mind that, by the way. I did not mind that. I am completely happy with the sentiment. I'm just saying, say what you think. Yeah, okay, don't. Yeah, don't try and be clever with words. About first year it. as a coach, though. Say what you think. First year as a senior coach. So. You know, we did nothing wrong today. We walk off having grown out of that game. We're looking forward to next week. Boom. Okay, so we're both on Sydney. Sydney just. Yeah, I'm saying that too. Sydney just very close game. Okay, Duff, now it's time for this. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Yes, thank you to Thirsty Camel. Thank you to Green Coast Lager from Stone and Wood Brewery. We'll be giving away a carton in, in just a few moments. Um, I, we did have some excellent mail from Tuesday, which I've put to one side. We'll debate that later. Um, and some very um, uh, informative and uh, humorous mail this week too please um uh include uh, keep them as short as possible and let us know if you're from western australia because you can't win the carton if you're not uh alex writes hi boys love the pod since day dot and used to be a regular contributor why well, used to be come on Alex, um, it looks like a significant upheaval is needed at West Coast following their worst ever season. Ronan O'Brien is out the door in a review of the footy department and um, strength and conditioning is de- desperately needed. Um, I'm not sure if O'Brien is out the door. No, O'Brien is doing the draft for West Coast. I think what they are doing is they're overhauling their list management and we're not completely clear as to how that looks just yet. Um, but I think Rowan O'Brien will run... They're recruiting through this year's draft. I suspect there'll be significant input from CEO Trevor Nisbet in list management. I believe Trevor now has a regular presence in the footy department. I believe he's often seen on recruiting and scouting missions. I, I suspect Trevor will have... Uh, he's always been a hands-on CEO where footy's concerned. I suspect he might have both hands and both toes, both big toes, into it this year. Uh, and he just mentioned uh, on recruiting, you've mentioned Aaron Cadman as a likely first pick for West Coast. You've also mentioned that the club has a solid skeleton, dar- darling Alan McGovern Barras, with the need to draft speed, surely best available, likely amid is the play here. Otherwise, aren't they at risk of repeating the mistakes of 2017 draft? And three, is the current footy department set up with two footy managers, Gavin Bell as footy manager and Ben Sharman as footy operations manager, sustainable and should they look at another restructure? It's a good question. I think what happens with these things is that if you get good draft picks and you make those choices and they're good, everyone says everything's working right and that football department is absolutely humming. If you are near the top of the ladder, you get mediocre picks, i.e. anything from 15 down where it's a bit more hit and miss and you miss on a few, then everyone says, oh, your whole case, your whole club's a basket case. You know, you're not getting anything right. Um I think they need to nail the first pick. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick Cadman. My mail is that Cadman is a future captain of whatever club he Gee, goes to. It's a to. big call. He hasn't set um, foot in an AFL field yet. Let's not forget that key position players take time, and let's not forget that Jack Darling is north of 30. Um, Oscar Allen coming back. Um, you get that kid in now, and he's two years into his career when Jack Darling goes off the end. You've basically got Oscar Allen and Aaron Cadman. I still think that if they get the pick for Willie Rioli that I think they'll get... The Carl Eamon pick. I still think that they can load up with some speed and power through the midfield in the 20s. 
and then they can have a significant jolt to their rebuild. So I'm, I might be wrong. There are good midfielders at the, the top end of the draft. Obviously, Will Ashcroft will be the subject of a father-son bid very high, maybe even before pick I one. Brisbane have to get some points in, though, to get him. Yeah. Um, Sheasel, Sheasel, Harry Sheasel's regarded as a match-winning type. Um, George Wardlaw's a midfielder, but... George Wardlaw's had some hamstring issues. One thing I would say about West Coast, if you're doing risk management for West Coast, I think a lot of people think George Wardlaw is the best player in this draft. But he's done the hammy about three times this year. It's a lot of hammies for a young bloke. Exactly. And so I'd be fascinated to see how West Coast views him. There's another guy surnamed Sartos. He's had some injury issues as well. They're the guys that if you did the pecking order, they would be the ones ahead ahead of Cadman yep. in the pecking order. They're all midfield midfield forward types. Um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how West Coast goes on this. Uh, our, one of our favourites, Duff, Matt Haythornthwaite from Vancouver, uh, the son of a Quarade. Great nine, Haythornthwaite. With Acres looking like leaving, should Frio look at Tom Phillips? He's a delisted free agent, so it won't cost anything, and he's only 26. If they can get him back to his 2018 form, they'd be laughing. Not a bad um, email. I do note that Essendon is into Tom Phillips and another couple of clubs in Melbourne. So so what I would be doing if I was Fremantle, assuming that Blake Acres does go, is that I'd be looking at Neil Erasmus, Matthew Johnson, Liam Henry, Carl Warner, and don't forget they started training Ethan Hughes to play the wing role at the end of last year, and basically they believe that the wing role is a very specialist role, particularly what they call the fat side wingman, which is the player that runs a lot of defensive um, patterns, a lot of sort of provide extra cover, cover both ends of the ground sort of running. Blake Akers did that superbly because he's such a, a great athletic specimen. Ethan Hughes is a very good athlete as well, so don't be surprised if Ethan Hughes bobs up in that role for Fremantle next year. Now, Duff, West Beach, is that in Perth area? West, where's West Beach? West Beach sounds like Esperance to yeah, me. Yeah, okay, okay. So this could be our winner. J- James from, oh, sorry, Phil from West Beach. Bit of fun here. Dear Duff and Quarters, thanks for a great podcast. I've enjoyed tuning in each week to listen to the weekly banter. I was watching Channel 7 News on Tuesday night and couldn't help but notice the size of Josh Kennedy's hands. It must make marking a football a hell of a lot easier. Yes, Phil, it does. <laughs> I can assure you. It is reported that Stewie Lowe could hold 30 eggs in his hands. I'm wondering, one, how many eggs can Josh Hennedy hold in his hands and two, how many quarters can hold? <laughs> With the draft combine a couple of months away, should the number of eggs a player can hold in their hands be added to the range of tests? I like that. Each player goes through. Thanks, Phil, from West Beach. Now, I'll give you a bit of an update. So, Stewie Lowe... Nicknamed Buckets yep. because of his hands. So I think it was on the front bar some time ago, um, some old footage of him actually did hold 30 eggs, but it was in two hands. So it was sort of cheating. Now, I go back to the 50s. There was a Collingwood player by the name of Neil, Neil Mann. Mann. Yep. Now, he could hold 24 eggs in one hand. Now, I can tell you, Phil, I can't get close to that. I'll be lucky to hold six. Very handy, man. Oh, very handy. Um, interestingly, I did some research on this area. You know I like the quirky. Iraqi man Ibrahim Sadek and a Briton by the name of Jack Harris both hold the Guinness Book of World Records, but it's not for holding them in one hand. It's for balancing on, on balancing them on the back of the hand. So how many? 18. 18 on the back of your hand. Now, anyone out there try and do that. It's ridiculous. How can you do I certainly couldn't. Standing up or laying down? <laughs> um, what do you... Eh? The eggs. 
I don't know. You'd have to be standing up, surely. But how do you do that? Anyway, there you go. So uh, that's a good email. And you know what? As this will never be one of your specialist fields. Quirky. It won't be one of my specialist <laughs> I could never pick up the footy in one hand. It really annoyed me. Um, hello, Duff and Quarters. Mark from Perth here. Loved the pod for a few years now. So I figured it was about time I had a crack at emailing in. We're glad you have, Mark. My question for you is this. Why is it just the Brownlow and Coleman medal that is awarded by the AFL? All clubs recognise second and third place at their fairest and best counts, and majority with the significant time and history behind them have named them after past players. So why can't the AFL? Is there a reason the AFL hasn't got a medal for second or third for either of these awards? The only criteria I'd have in place is individuals such as Coventry and Skilton, who already have an award named after them at at their original clubs, are not considered, and that a countback is put in place to decide second and third in the event of a tie in either of those positions. Um, look, that's really. I, I, oh, my choices would be first Brownlow, second Ablett, recognising both, third Goods. Um, I like that. I don't mind it at all. I just don't think you could do it on the night. But I have no issue with handing out the second and third place medals named after someone a bit later on. Won't happen. Okay, why? Well, because it's the Brownlow, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Why dilute this the poignancy of the moment where you get the Brownlow medal? Yeah, you don't want to dilute stage. that. Yeah. Maybe later. So Brownlow. This one from Harley from Wickham in WA. Hi, gents. Thoughts on a 10-team final series? Instead of a whole comp buy before the finals, the top two earn an end-of-season break and have quarterfinals between teams third to sixth and wildcard finals between teams seventh to tenth. We then continue with a normal eight-team setup during the second week of finals. Okay. So if we go to... 19 or 20 teams, I wonder whether that will become a relevant thing, gives them more big games, might give them something to do with the bye weekend. So basically, if you get to play in the wildcard games, you get to play in the finals, but you don't get the bye. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's not beyond the realms, but we can throw up 150 different scenarios. Uh, Ed from Frio writes, hello, pundits of the pod. For many weeks, my wife, a fan of the waffle, has been extolling the footballing virtues of appeal player one Tyrone Tyrone Thorne. Yes, very good player. Expressing mystification that he hasn't been picked up by the Dockers. She claims that whilst he may appear to be a skinny kid, he plays with great skill and heart. Out of interest, I googled him and discovered that Duff had written an article for the West expressing similar sentiments and suggesting that he would be a great pick-up in the mid-season draft. Why is he still languishing in the, in the waffle? Do you think? Is, is, is it just his size? Having seen Dugowie brush a few of the Dockers' better players aside last Saturday, I can understand the hunt for big-bodied mids, but surely there's room in the AFL for a range of body types. One thing's for certain, Liam Henry's a Docker, but Thorne regularly shows him a few things about how to play the game. Well, I just I look back to Will Powell when he joined Gold Coast. He was just, you know, there's nothing of him. And look at him now. Yeah, but... Tyrone Thorne's not just slim, he's okay. tiny. Mm-hmm. So I love the way he plays. He's a very good player. So there, is Caleb Sarong. There is no, no, Caleb Sarong's a bit bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. So Caleb Sarong's just a tick under six foot. Is he really? They all look small out there, quarters, but yeah. they're all big. Okay. Um, they're all big boys. So, um, yeah, Tyrone is small, and that doesn't mean you can't make it. It just means the smaller you are, and particularly when you're Tyrone size, you have to be extraordinarily good. He's very good. What a club would have to decide is whether he's extraordinarily good. And so far, they haven't made that call. Brett from Broome writes, Hi, lads. Just wanted your thoughts on why Frio continually kicked the ball out of defence. 
it's the same approach to the forward line all year as with past years. The mentality is kick it long and high to a pack with the ball invariably returning to where it came from. A repetitive and highly predictable game plan. Surely the best defence in the league can come up with different ideas like run and carry, short kicks and hitting targets. Address this issue at both ends and we will win flags. Lastly, quarters. Just how small are your hands? There's a bit of a theme developing here today. <laughs> can you please measure and inform the listeners? As a fellow miniature mitted man, maybe we can create a support group to combat bullies like Duff who remind us of our plot, plight on a <laughs> weekly basis. Well, I will go and measure my hands and I'll come back to you on that one. Yeah, I've got to say, I don't have small hands, but my hands aren't huge, so I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly well, not they, boasting they about huge next to hand mine, size. Mate. When I shake hands with my brothers, who obviously I share the same genes with, I often observe that their hands are bigger than mine. So, quarters has small hands. So does my brother. My hands are just a solid average. I think. Uh, Stu writes, "Gents, Stu from Sydney here, not in for the beers, unfortunately. We'll keep it brief to keep quarters happy. Thank you, Stu. Given Melbourne's need for a key forward, does Josh Tracy become a player in the Jackson trade to help get it done? Interesting call. Josh Tracy had a frustrating year, I think. So we watched him during the summer and he was on and off the training track, in and out of main training, got the feeling he was sore and was maybe carrying an injury. So he didn't have a great preparation. Then he had injuries into the season. Then he had illness later in the season. So he had a few setbacks, only played the four games, didn't do a lot in those four games. He's just turned 20, I think, Josh Tracy. Easy to forget that. Mm. So... Give him time, I think. Need a bit of of cyclone in that Freo forward line. You don't give away good talls, and I think it's too early to declare him not a good tall. uh, Pete from Freo writes, thanks for the podcast. There's been a lot made of Freo's players in the upcoming trade week, but I would love to hear your thoughts on potential coaching staff movements and your views on their impact. I think losing Chris Scott as an assistant in 2010 set Freo back significantly, and if the rumours are to be believed, we may lose Josh Carr and Jamie Graham both of whom are well-credentialed. If this happened, who should we target to replace them? Do you think it would set us back? And would David Mundy be a good appointment as an assistant or development coach? That's a good call. Now, David Mundy, don't forget, is completing a PhD on abalone, so he may have other interests. That's um, a very um, quirky abalone. So he's obviously doing marine biology, yeah. and, and abalone is his special subject. I like eating them. I don't know whether I want to do a PhD yet to, on yet one Yet to be sold, to be honest. <clears throat> I don't get what the hype's about. Maybe. You've got to do it properly. You've got to, you've got to know Cook it for one minute or for an hour. Is that right? No, well, first of all, make sure your abalone are legal size. Yes, make sure and it is abalone season. Make sure, well, down in the South Southern Ocean, it is all the time. You can get them every day. Well, at least you used to be able to. I don't know whether it's still the same rules now. Um, make sure they're the right size. Make sure that you observe bag limits. Then you um, shuck them. You beat them a fair bit with a tenderising hammer or just a brick. Um, then you do the old... It's a lot of work just for a feed. You do the old flour, egg and panko breadcrumbs quarters. Yeah. And then that's you, a lot of work just for And then food. You, you cook them in a mild deep fryer for 20 seconds each side. You take them out, you eat them, and they're kind of like the best chicken nuggets you've ever eaten. That's what they taste a bit like, with a bit of garlic salt. Yeah, the best fish I've ever eaten. I was fishing with the great rod spinner Willet. Yes. Off Broom. Um, he was doing the fishing. He was just instructing me because I'm hopeless. But... Um, uh, we were going for Spanish Mac, and just at the end, we caught a beautiful big tuna. So while we were um, filleting the Spanish Mac, we just put this tuna to one side and bought some uh, wasabi and some soy, and we were just having it fresh off the fish. 
I don't think I've eaten anything better than that fish that day. It was magnificent. When I used to go, just as an aside, when I used to go snorkelling for abalone down at Esperance, I used to go with a bloke who was a real knock-around bloke. He used to call himself the country boy that lost his way. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were places where I was prepared to go in with him and there were places where I was not prepared to go in with him. There's one place he had, which was one of his favourite places, where he had to go a fair way out into a fairly deep channel and go down for green lip abs, which is the big ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked me, he said, are you coming in? I said, not as long as my ass points to the ground. I'm not going in there. And he said, will you stand up on the rocks and keep watch then? I said, well, what do you want me to watch for? And he said, a mushroom cloud of blood will be a fairly good indication. <laughs> and a giant fin. <laughs> what are you meant to do then anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Never winning in that spot, I have to say. Uh, Hello, Duffin Quarters. Um, with the ongoing reports of a mass Frio exodus, exodus, is there an issue with Frio's culture climate? It just seems odd that so many players are looking to leave when the team is only just starting to find success again after half a decade in the doldrums. I also find it hilarious that Victorians are just realising that airlines jack up their air is due to supply and demand. They are very entitled, as this happens to the WA clubs every finals campaign. And while I'm here, what's going on as West Coast? I hear there are no changes to the footy or SNC personnel. Um, that's from Domo in Redcliffe, WA. Uh, they do. So he's referring to the Collingwood uh, supporters. Yes, chagrin at the airfares being jacked up for flights to drive Sydney. up. Yeah, drive exactly. It's an eight-hour drive. It's a good drive up the Hume too. It's good fun. It's it's. You know what? Get a convoy I've just been finished talking about Esperance. That's as far as Esperance. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's not far. Yeah. Which I've done routinely over summer holidays in recent seasons. Okay, this one from Luke. Uh, Luke from the Cayman Islands here. Apologies for my extended absence from the mailbag this year. We're I've very been... disappointed, Luke. Yes, I am. Welcome back. He's fallen asleep in his hammock um, that's roped between two palm trees, and he's just woken <laughs> up. I've been too busy, quite literally, burying my head in the sand at West Coast shocking season. Speaking of which, do you foresee that West Coast are going to struggle once again with crowd attendance at games next year? Could more be done to get fans down to the game, such as pre-game entertainment and the like? I'm thinking something like monster, monster trucks. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> that's right. Monster trucks on up the stadium. We've pre-game. missed you, Luke. <laughs> Join the crowd in before the Eagles game starts. This is just <laughs> funny example. What do you think? I don't think you're getting the monster trucks past the Optus Stadium management, mate. Luke, what I would say is I reckon West Coast's um, crowds bottomed at around 40, and I think that if they go a bit better, they'll build back towards 50, and if they go not very well again, it'll probably hover around the 40s, low to mid-40s mark. What I would say is, rather than pre-game entertainment, they really need some mid-game entertainment, <laughs> yeah. like as in between the first bounce and the final siren. That's right, yes. That, that would help them, I think. They, good... they had a horrendous year this year. Uh, Martin from East Vic Park rides, hey, fellas, what is it with the AFL Tribunal? Duff said on Tuesday that it was like a chook raffle, but we all knew Barry would get off. The whole system changes when finals come around. From Barry Hall to Trent Cotchin to Barry, it seems to happen every year. The clubs bring in big, law- big wig lawyers, but real law doesn't exist because precedence is never considered. Considered. The AFL does what suits the AFL and stuff the fairness. You could take this as a very frustrated comment instead of a question. Uh, look, I, I thought he deserved a week, but I wasn't surprised he got off like you, Duff. Yeah, Chuck Lotto. Yeah, it is. Um, the, what everyone seems to lose sight of when these cases emerge and all these big lawyers come in and talk about procedural fairness and such. There's video of the evidence. There are still shots of Jared Berry with his finger in Clayton Oliver's eye. 
And all they have to ping him for is unreasonable and unnecessary contact to the eye and face of Clayton Oliver. Game over. Case closed. Except the fact that Jared Berry doesn't play this week. Move on. Uh, the only devil's advocate I'd impart on that is that he it was in, they downgraded it from intentional, didn't they? So you could argue that with a forearm on your throat and your hand up like that. But, but it was a reaction to what Oliver was exactly, doing. Exactly. But as I said on Tuesday, I think you pretty well know what the shape of a head feels like. Well, Jordan Lewis, as we said, who is a specialist in these areas, <laughs> not necessarily in eye gouging, no, he's but, not. but certainly in, in on-field conflict and wrestling, basically said, you tend to know where the face of your opponent is, and I doubt he's as innocent as you're making him out to be. Uh, Luke writes, hi, guys. Massive Frio fam from Adelaide. Two-part question... Two-part question. I'm not a fan of trading for Jackson. I'm not sure he's the right fit for the team needs. But if Frio entertain it, is there a way they can play hardball and use the Eagles taking him to the preseason draft for nothing and possibly only use one first-round pick instead of two? I also believe Frio would be better trying to throw a big contract at Harry Mackay and trying to steal him from the Blues before he re-signs. Thoughts? Did Harry Mackay re-sign? I thought he did. Yeah, I did. I thought I'll he check did. on that and we'll come back on Yeah, I on thought Tuesday, he actually did. But I thought he did. Um, yeah, interesting call. I think we're all thinking what's going on with the Jackson trade. You know, does he play? How does it play out for Fremantle? Is it a bust? Is it a great get? Um, clearly, they think it's a great enough get to invest a lot of money, and they will invest. I suspect it'll be two first-round draft picks. I think if Melbourne pushes for three, I think that scenario you talk about with West Coast comes into play because if Fremantle walks away, Melbourne knows the West Coast is sitting there with that preseason draft pick. But... I'm, if if I were a betting man, most likely outcome, I, I'm I'm betting that he gets to Fremantle for two first round draft picks. Sam from Sydney writes: When Buddy moved north, every man and his dog had him landing at GWS. Is there any chance of this happening with Luke Jackson ending up at West Coast? It seems like he'd be a better fit, and I think Freo need a power forward more than another ruckman. That's a good call. And look, it may be that if Luke Jackson went to West Coast, he would do West Coast a great favour, and he would do Fremantle a great favour as well, because I think there is some disquiet about that sort of investment in a young ruckman whose football plateaued this year. Um, I, I wouldn't rule West Coast out. I just think that if you're scaling a market for this, you've got Fremantle as the favourite and West Coast as the outsider. So, Duff, we've got an important decision to make. Do we go for um, the assistant coach email from Pete from Frio? Do we go for Phil from West Beach and the Eggs? Um, or do we go from a few from Tuesday? I think there was a... Uh, Adel- um, let me see. I'm leaning towards um, the eggs, to be Phil honest. Phil from West Beach? Yes, I am. I think I'm with you. Okay, so like Phil from West Beach, please... Bit of humour thrown in. Oh, yeah, please send your uh, details and some eggs to this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. Thank you very much for joining us today. It is a big, big round of footy, the preliminary final weekend. We have been brought to you, as usual, by TabTouch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet. Download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly and please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. Uh, quarters, thank you. We'll be back on Tuesday. Hope you tip a winner. Hope your team goes well this weekend. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. 
This has been the Duffin Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable.